For our scripture reading, we turn to John chapter 13. We'll read that chapter along with the first three verses of chapter 14. Starting at John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you, before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. 
When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can't I, I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. <coughs> Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures this morning. Scripture are the basis for the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 18.
speaks of our Lord ascending into heaven, and it also speaks of him taking us up to be with him. How dost thou understand these words? He ascended into heaven. That Christ, in the sight of his disciples, was taken up from earth into heaven, and that he continues there for our interest until he comes again to judge the quick and the dead. Is not Christ then with us even to the end of the world, as he hath promised? Christ is very man and very God. With respect to his human nature, he's no more on earth. But with respect to his Godhead, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is at no time absent from us. But if his human nature is not present wherever his Godhead is, are not then these two natures in Christ separated from one another? Not at all. For since the Godhead is illimitable and omnipresent, it must necessarily follow that the same is beyond the limits of the human nature he assumed, and yet is nevertheless in this human nature and remains personally united to it. Of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? First, that he is our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, as the head, will also take up to himself us, his members. Thirdly, that he sends us his spirit as an earnest, by whose power we seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and not things on earth. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, having considered the subject of the resurrection, we consider now the subject of the ascension. We understand there was a period of some 40 days in between the resurrection and the ascension. And during that time period, Jesus appeared to his disciples at a number of different occasions. And he appeared to them and he also gave them instruction concerning the things of the kingdom of heaven. And then the day came when he ascended up into heaven. He had spoken a number of times about the fact that he was going to go to the Father. When we look at the gospel narratives, we see repeatedly that he made a reference to the fact that he was going to go to the Father. And they questioned, there were those that questioned, what does he mean when he talks about going to the Father? Here he talked to the disciples and said that he was going to depart and that where he went, they could not come. He says... 
Whither I go, ye cannot come. Whither I go, ye cannot come. And then, that was in uh, verse 33, and then Jesus went on and said that where he went, they could not come now. And then in chapter 14, he brings out that he is going to go to the Father, and in his Father's house are many mansions, or many dwelling places, and that if he goes and prepares a place for you, for me, he will come again and receive us unto himself. What a comfort that had to have been, especially as the disciples would think back on this later. At the time, they would have had a number of different questions. And it wasn't going to be too long before Peter was going to deny Christ thrice. The words that we read about here, this is shortly before the Lord's death, that Jesus gave this instruction. Pretty soon they were going to see him, taken, and then he would be crucified, that horrible death of crucifixion, the accursed death. Then he would rise from the dead and they would see him after he had risen. And then he would ascend into heaven and they'd see him go. And he gave them instruction about what they were to do. He gave them instruction in this chapter too. And then Later, the Spirit is, some ten days after the ascension, the Spirit is poured out. It guides them into a deeper understanding of the Scriptures and brings to their remembrance things that he has taught them. Certainly, there must have been many statements Jesus made that came back to them later, that they remembered what he had said. God guided the Apostle John to write what he wrote here. And the words would have been comforting to them and also to us. Jesus ascended into heaven. It isn't time yet for us to go there. He's there. Our flesh is in heaven. We have comfort knowing that he is there. Our head is there. And he, his spirit is in us, working in us so we seek things above. And we also know he will return for us. 
when he says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. You see how that goes with what we just read. He will also take up to himself us, his members. He will take us up to himself. For a time we will continue on in the trials here. So it would be for the disciples that for a time the warfare was going to continue. The struggles were going to continue. But the day would come that they would be with their Lord without sin and be with him forever. What a comfort that is. What a comfort it must have been for them and what a comfort it is for us. We consider this Lord's Day under the theme taken up from earth into heaven. We consider, first of all, taken up. Secondly, continuing there. And thirdly, taking us up. First, we consider the ascension itself. It says that Jesus ascended into heaven. The question is, what, what is heaven? And in response to that, we say that heaven is a real place. There are those that have said and that sing, imagine that there is no heaven. Uh, we're not to imagine what is not true, nor do we desire it. We confess it really is true, that there really is a heaven, and that it is a real place. Now, someone may say, now how are you going to prove that? Well, we prove that from God's word. There are many things that we know because God tells us in the scriptures. How do we know we have a spiritual soul? The scriptures tell us. God tells us in his word. How do we know when we die, we go to heaven? You can't see that with the eye of the body. We know because God tells us. How do we know there is a place called heaven? Because God tells us that there is. A real place. And there are persons who are there. Created persons who are there. The Bible speaks of the angels in heaven. They're real. And they are said to be in heaven. They're creatures, finite creatures. They're in heaven. The saints who have died before us are really in heaven. The scripture speaks of that, so we know that that's true. That in their souls, they've been taken up to Christ to their head, and they are with our Lord. Heaven is a real place. And scripture speaks of God being in heaven. 
Now, God is exalted for all. God is infinite. And we understand that the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain God, as we read in the scripture. That God is infinite. There's no limits to God. And yet God is said to be, with the scriptures speak of him as being in heaven. We're not to have earthly conceptions of his heavenly majesty. When we pray, we say, our Father which art in heaven. And there is a verse that connects that idea that our Father is in heaven with the idea that God does all his pleasure which is a truth that many people deny. Many people say God's desire is that all human beings be saved, and yet that does not happen. We say the scriptures teach that God does all his pleasure. Well, that statement is made in connection with the fact that our God is in heaven. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. That's Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he has pleased. He's sovereign over all. And Jesus spoke of going to the Father. Going to God. And says the time, the hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, for example. Chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 3. He was come from God and went to God. The ascension then was really a change of place. And that is, that is a phrase that we use when we talk about the ascension. That the ascension is a change of place. Familiar with the fact that people use the phrase, I was in heaven, to mean I was really enjoying something. And... And all of a sudden, they're really enjoying some event, and they say, oh, I was in heaven, because they were enjoying whatever that may have been. And we say, now, when, when we, Scripture speaks of Christ ascending into heaven, that was a real change of place. As it rightly says in answer 46, that Christ was taken up from earth into heaven up from earth into heaven a real change of place and he did so in the sight of his disciples which would indicate to them that the times that he had appeared between his resurrection and ascension it was not going to continue like that anymore where they'd be in a room and the doors would be closed and all of a sudden he'd be there. Or all of a sudden he'd be gone. They wouldn't be able to see him. He'd vanish out of their 
sight so that's a, that's all for a moment they could see him and then a moment later they could not see him and now as he ascended into heaven the angels were there there were angels there that gave instruction that he was going to come back in like manner and since that time we've known that as he ascended bodily so he will descend so he will return one day bodily and in like manner as he ascended it was a change of place there was a time when he had been raised and he hadn't ascended he said that in john 20 verse 17 i have not yet ascended so he makes an appearance after the resurrection and says i have not yet ascended and during that time he gave instruction to the disciples and instructed them about the kingdom the heavenly kingdom and about what their work is and then they saw him ascend and then the question is well where is he he ascended into heaven so where is he and we say here we explain he's not here with regard to his human nature but he is here with respect to his divine nature that jesus has two natures divine and human one person second person of the trinity two natures and with regard to his divine nature by his godhead well he's he's divine nature has no limits would make sense to speak of his divine nature going from one place and being to another place and to say he's not here in his divine nature he's not in his divine nature he's omnipresent and the creed explains that when it says with respect to his godhead majesty grace and spirit he is at no time absent from us so he is with us with respect to his godhead his majesty his grace his and his spirit but with regard to his human nature with respect to his human nature he is not here and this is spoken of at some length here in the heidelberg catechism over against the teaching of the lutherans that speak about the human nature of christ being ubiquitous ubiquitous meaning everywhere and we say that's true with regard to his in his divine with respect to his divine nature he's omnipresent but not as human that teaching of the human nature being ubiquitous is connected with their wrong idea of concerning the lord's supper and how we eat and drink him and who eats and drinks him but now just looking at it from the viewpoint of his human nature 
We say that with regard to his human nature, he's not here. Jesus had spoken of how he was going to depart. And that's referring to himself with regard, with respect to his human nature. He ascends, he goes taken up from earth into heaven, and he is not here. Whom heaven must receive until the times of the restitution of all things, as we read in Acts chapter 3. And when the question is asked, well, if in his, with respect to his human nature, he's not here, then does not that mean that the two natures of Christ are separated? That's question 48. If his human nature is not present wherever his Godhead is, then aren't the two natures in Christ separated? And the answer is no, not at all. First of all, it explains that the Godhead certainly is beyond the limits of the human nature he assumed. The human nature is finite. And when he assumed the human nature, his divine nature was beyond the limits of that human nature he assumed. Well, then, how are they united? Well, the divine nature is in the human. We read that he goes on, it goes on and says that. Yet is nevertheless in this human nature and remains personally united to it. The two natures are united in the one person of the Son of God. So he's taken up into heaven. He ascended up to a heavenly throne. which served to bring out, too, the heavenly nature of his kingdom. When there were those that had an earthly, the disciples themselves had some earthly views of his kingdom and what it meant that the Messiah had come. And then they see him ascend. While his hands are raised and as he's blessing them, they see him ascend. That here he had been telling them where he was going to go. He had been giving them instruction, and now they watch him ascend. But certainly served to bring out that he ascended to the heavenly throne, to a heavenly throne. His kingdom is heavenly. He has authority over all in heaven and earth, and he made known that to them. All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Made higher than the heavens, we read. He ascends triumphant, and he has authority over all things in heaven and earth, and he continues there for our interest. In the sight of his disciples, and that he continues there for our interest until he comes again to judge the quick and the dead. He continues there for our interest. So where is he? Oh, he's in heaven. And that it was illustrated in the old dispensation in the shadows, in the times of the types and shadows, in the times of the ceremonial law, 
that the priest would offer the sacrifice and then go into the holy place. Think of how often that happened. A sacrifice offered and then going into the holy place. Well, we often talk about how the sacrifice pointed to the coming sacrifice of Christ. And once he offered that one perfect sacrifice, there was not to be any more this ongoing sacrifice. Well, what about the going into the holy place? What is the holy place? The holy place is heaven. And that's what we read. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Into heaven itself. Not the holy places made with hands but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He's continuing there for our interest. He appears in the presence of God for us. He's our advocate. He's our intercessor. That's the first benefit that's mentioned in the Heidelberg Catechism is, well, how do we... How do we benefit from what's the advantage to us that Christ has ascended into heaven? When Jesus was talking about departing and the disciples were sad, he was telling them, it's going to be beneficial for me to depart. Well, what's going to be the advantage? For us not to have him here with us, like he was in the days that, he wa- that the disciples could see him with the eye of the body, what's the advantage of the fact that he's in heaven? The first thing that's mentioned is he's our advocate in the presence of his Father. He's our advocate. That's the same idea that was mentioned in Hebrews 9 when it says he appears in the in the presence of God for us is a reference to the fact that that's where he is, in the presence of God. What does it mean that he's our advocate? An advocate is one who pleads for another. Sometimes the term that's used is advocate, one who pleads for another, or sometimes it's used for intercessor one who's making a request for someone. Jesus is speaking to God, the Father, for us, asking God to bless us on the basis of what Christ has done, to give us the blessings that he has purchased for us. He's our mediator. He's our intercessor. And we're told, and we have an article in the Belgic Confession on this, that we're not to seek another one. We have Christ as our intercessor, as our mediator, as our advocate. The people that would pray to Mary or other saints, 
but that is directly contrary to scripture and yet multi, multi, many 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 people do it and in that connection the arguments that are used against that practice of you know praying to the saints brings out something very comforting concerning the one who's interceding for us and the first thing it mentions is the one who's interceding for you for me there is no creature in heaven or on earth who loves you more than the one who laid down his life for you There's no creature in heaven or on earth that loves you more than him. And he is the one who's interceding for you. Who's your advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. Who has so much power and majesty as the one who sits at the right hand of God. So if you wanted an intercessor that loved you, well, who loves you more than him? What creature, that is, loves you more than him? And your divine and human mediator. If you were looking for someone who has power and majesty, who has so much of both? And who would sooner be heard than the own and well-beloved Son of God? He's our advocate in the presence of the Father. And from heaven, he sends us his spirit. And he made a reference to that when he talked about how it would be beneficial for them. If he went away, he talked about how he would send the spirit. And that's mentioned, and that's the third point that's mentioned in answer 49. Thirdly, he sends us and his spirit as an earnest. And what is an earnest? We read of that here and we read of that in a number of verses in scripture that he sends us the spirit as an as an earnest. An earnest is something that is given first with the promise of something to follow. We, right now, we receive the Spirit of Christ and we have the promise, God promises us, the full realization of our salvation. Our full deliverance. Right now, we still have a sinful nature. Right now, it's the case that we still have to go through physical death. Although some will be alive at the time that Christ returns. But the full realization of our salvation is certain. And we have received the Spirit as as an earnest. And by the power of the Spirit, we seek things above. 
Now, when we read that, we seek things above and not things on this earth. We can think we get all so concerned about things on this earth. And it says, by whose power we seek things above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God and not things on earth. We recognize it can be the case that we have our mind on many things on earth. And we do need, have a need for food, for clothing. There are things that we need for the body. We have places of shelter and so on. Yet we also do know that what our creed says here is true that we do have a desire we do seek things that are above the idea is Christ has ascended into heaven our head is in heaven he sends us his spirit so that the spirit that is in us is the spirit of the one who is in heaven And he works in us to seek heavenly things. And he does. Already in you you children. And in you young people. So that when you come to church, or whether you come to catechism, or whether you're in a Bible study, or whether you're opening the scriptures on your own, You are seeking to grow in understanding of heavenly things. And you understand that Christ talks to you and me about heavenly things. And as we hear him speak, we desire more to understand. We see the beginning within us. None of us seeks these things to the degree we ought. None of us, none of us do. That's a confession of all of us. Yet we really do seek things above. As the disciples did. The disciples had some wrong ideas. The disciples at times were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. But that didn't mean that they didn't have any desire, didn't seek heavenly things at all. They were interested in the things of the kingdom of heaven. And the Spirit did work in them and guide them to grow, and especially after the pouring out of the Spirit, how they had a deeper understanding of these things. The Spirit works in us. The spirit of the one who has ascended into heaven. Who received the spirit and poured the spirit out into the church. And we who have the spirit in us are comforted knowing that Christ will come 
back. Jesus said, when Simon Peter said, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. <coughs> and then chapter 14, we read chapter 13 and into the beginning of 14, the familiar words in chapter 14 follow that, what we just read in 13. Thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. In my Father's house are many mansions. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And that's in line with the second point that's mentioned as far as the advantage of the ascension. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he as the head will also take up to himself us, his members. And then reading that regarding yourself, your head is in heaven and he will take you up to himself. Take us up to himself. To be where he is, that where I am, there ye shall be also. What a hope we have. Now when we talk about Christ's coming, we understand there's a sense in which he's coming right now. We also understand there's a sense in which we are taken to be with him at the moment of death. That our soul immediately is taken up to Christ, our head, at the moment of our death. And at any time, that could happen. And that if we die, what's going to happen is that we are taken up to be with our Lord. But also... There's that day when he will return in like manner as he ascended. And there will be the bodily resurrection. And that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. What a moment that will be. Our head has been taken up. Legally, we have the right to follow and we are organically connected to him. Since our head has been taken up, it is certain that we will follow. 
Yet for now, there is time of trial yet. For the disciples to hear, you can't follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterward. There was suffering yet in the lives of the apostles. It was God's plan that the apostles were going to go through trials and afflictions. There would be those that would be put to death. So in their lives, it was, there was still, in this life, there was still going to be warfare for a time. And the Apostle James, for example, is one relatively early in comparison to some of the others that we read of would be put to death. Jesus talked to Peter about his death. Told him some things about it. It wasn't yet time for them. Now that in their souls they are with Christ in heaven. Well, so it is also with the same thing can be said to us. Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. But thou shalt follow me afterwards. But for now, there's still trials left here for us. There's still difficulties that we must go through that God has determined ahead of time for our good. But the day will come. That day will come when he will take us up to be with him. And in our trials and in the difficulties and in our sufferings, we have hope. We do have hope. And that is a certain expectation that what Jesus has told us is true. We know it's true. And when we're there with all the saints, we'll fit right in. Isn't that a wonderful thought to think of how you'll fit right in there? You know, and sometimes in situations in this life, sometimes we're in a situation where we don't know, we don't feel like, have a hard time knowing how we fit. And we are as saints as we commune together. We are love one another. In fact, Jesus in the context here, when he talks about himself departing, well, what are they supposed to do? Love one another. Serve. 
love one another, serve one another. And we do confess the communion of the saints. And we're thankful for that communion. We're saints. We're also sinners. When we are all together without sin, each one of us in the position that the Lord has for us, each one of us will fit right in, we'll all be together, we'll have perfect communion. No one can occupy the spot that you'll occupy. You have a specific location that God has determined for you. And all of us together, God has determined the position in the body of each member. He will take us up to be with him. We are the members of his body. We are a body in Jesus Christ. What a comfort that we have. And so while we continue on in this life, Jesus ascends, and they see him ascend. Well, what are they to do? Love one another. Proclaim the gospel. Bear witness to the truth. Show thankfulness in your life. Love one another. Serve one another. And be patient. Patiently wait on the Lord, believing his promises knowing that our God is faithful and our Lord will return just as he said that he would do. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we are thankful for the comfort that we have in Christ Jesus. We are thankful for the hope we have in him. Lord, grant us grace that we may be diligent, each one in his or her station and calling here, to do the work that thou hast called us to do, and that we may do so with joy and gladness in our soul, believing what thou hast told us, living to the honor of thy name. Bless all thy saints, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen.